welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Thanks for joining us again. Once upon a time, long ago and far away, or less far away, depending on where you are, there was a great kingdom which became an empire. It was the greatest kingdom there had ever been until it was destroyed and other great and corrupt kingdoms took its place because no kingdom known to man ever became great without oppressing people, but neither did any of the ancient empires last forever, though while they lasted, they were great and mighty. Of course, that relies on a specific definition of great. Here's what we mean when we say the kingdom was great. The rulers were rich and powerful and controlled many people and conquered a lot of land. And they took from the lands they conquered people and whatever treasures they wanted. So far, that could be any great empire. The empire in question was Babylon. Which, to be honest, I've never studied in school. But it's very important in the Bible. And of course, they oppressed Israel because that's what empires in the Bible do as a general rule. The king of Babylon invaded, took over, and enslaved the people, although the translation of the Bible I'm using doesn't use that word. The king was named Nebuchadnezzar, and he seems to think he's helping people by allowing them to work in his great kingdom. Anyways, he had people select the boys who were the best at math and science and the smartest and most physically fit to be raised to one day help rule the vast empire. They were also slaves, but special slaves. At least, that's how King Nebuchadnezzar saw it. The boys came from everywhere because it was a very big empire, and they were raised and trained all together according to the rules the king gave to the officials raising them. From among the Hebrews taken away from their homes in Israel, there were four boys. They were named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the book this story is in is actually named Daniel after this guy, Daniel. Um, but as rulers often do to people they're forcing to assimilate into a new culture, they made the boys use new names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. That's a mouthful. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Mostly in the text, the last three guys get called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel usually gets called Daniel, which is um, a relief for me because it's easier to say Daniel, then Belshazzar. But aside from pronunciation difficulties with the new Babylonian names, the, the boys' Hebrew names were all about the Lord God. They all said something about God, who they believed in and who was important to their culture. And King Nebuchadnezzar wanted those names erased. And instead, he named them all after different gods of Babylon. And those are the names the Babylonians called them. Unity in Babylonian culture was very important to the king. The official who was training the boys was feeding everyone a diet of the same food the king ate, except some of that food went against Daniel's beliefs and the culture he was raised in, so he did not want to eat it. So he and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who all came from the same culture, they went to the guard who was in charge of them and said they would like to eat a vegetarian diet, just like me when I was a kid. Please, more vegetables! That's, that's a joke. I ate a lot of candy. Um, so instead of the meat and wine they were given, they wanted vegetables and water. And this guy, the guard, really liked Daniel, but even so, he didn't want to do what Daniel asked because disobeying the king was risky because the king thought very highly of his own opinion, especially on matters of science and nutrition. And the guard said, if I gave you different food than the food specially commanded by the king, then you might look sick and weak weaker than the other boys, and then the king will have my head chopped off if I don't take care of you. And Daniel said, we'll just test it. Give us vegetables and water for 10 days and see if we look more or less healthy than the other boys here. That's just science. 
And the king was totally into science, whatever that exactly consisted of in ancient Babylon. So the guard let them try out this vegetables and water only diet. And at the end of the 10 days, they all looked well nourished and healthy, even more than all the other boys. After that, the official let them eat their vegetables. And I don't really know if the text is trying to say eating only vegetables is the way to go, or if it's actually saying, wow, it's a miracle they were healthy even though they ate only vegetables. But the long and short of it is Daniel was proven right and the officials respected him for it and let him and his friends eat the food they felt best reflected their beliefs. You probably shouldn't take this story as medical advice in any direction. Daniel and his three friends grew up to be healthy, intelligent, and wise. In fact, they were the smartest, most intelligent, and most learned in their class. And when the king questioned them on various subjects, he found they understood much more than most people. So King Nebuchadnezzar was really happy with them and gave them important jobs. And they were some of his favorite wise men. Apparently, being a wise man was an official job title. Then one night, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and it was a really weird dream. It was so weird, he was having trouble sleeping because he kept thinking about his weird dream. He just knew it was important, and he asked his wise men to interpret it. But he wouldn't tell them what the dream was. He was afraid if they heard what the dream was, they might just make up an interpretation that they thought made sense, and then it wouldn't truly be the interpretation from the gods, and that would be dangerous, because the dreams of a king often showed the future of the kingdom, and he wanted to know the true meaning. The truth was, of course, very important to the king. But the wise men and astrologers and magicians didn't know what the dream was because how can one person know what someone else dreams without being told? This is impossible, they said. How can we know what the king dreamed? So they couldn't do what he asked. And then King Nebuchadnezzar decided if they wouldn't or couldn't tell him the dream and what it meant, they must all be phonies with no wisdom at all. And their job was to be wise. So clearly he'd have to fire them for being bad at their jobs, right? But no. He wasn't just going to fire them, he was going to kill them, and he was going to kill every single wise man in the whole kingdom. That includes our guys. Wisdom was very important to the king, more of a quality for other people, apparently. So the commander of the king's guard came looking for Daniel and his friends to kill them. They showed up at Daniel's house, and Daniel asked very politely why they were going to kill him. And the commander said... Uh, it's because no one could tell the king his dream and interpret it. And then Daniel's like, I got this. Then Daniel went to the king and politely asked for more time so he could do what the king asked. And the king agreed to this. The king cared a lot about politeness when people were asking not to die, you know. Daniel went to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he told them what was happening, and he asked them to pray to God because only the Lord God could solve this problem. So they all prayed, and Daniel had a vision from God, and he knew what the dream was as clearly as if he'd watched it in a movie. And perhaps more importantly, he understood the message it was trying to give to the king. So Daniel stood before the king, and I'm just going to quote this whole weird dream and how Daniel talks to the king verbatim from the... NIV translation of the Bible that I'm using because I'm having trouble getting the paraphrase to come out right and it's actually pretty concise for such a strange dream. So the king said, um, can you tell me what I dreamed and also interpret it? And Daniel said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what was going to happen. 
As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he made you ruler over them all. You're the head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. This dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Then the king bowed down to Daniel after hearing all this and told his servants to make offerings to Daniel because he was really amazed. And King Nebuchadnezzar said, Surely your God is the God of kings and the revealer of mysteries because he enabled you to reveal this mystery. This was the first time Nebuchadnezzar discovered the Jewish Lord God. And then the king made Daniel an important ruler in Babylon. And because Daniel asked, the king appointed Daniel's three Hebrew friends, who the king called by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to be rulers of other provinces within Babylon. But King Nebuchadnezzar kept Daniel close to him in the royal court. So King Nebuchadnezzar was basically like a nerd about gods and stuff. And he was really excited about this new-to-him god who could reveal secrets. There were lots and lots of gods in Babylon, and after all, Daniel was just one wise man, and his friends were just three others, and the king had an entire empire to rule and to teach to appreciate science and wisdom like he did. So King Nebuchadnezzar made a gigantic gold statue, 90 feet tall, and he summoned all his governors and advisors and judges, anybody who was anybody in Babylon. He summoned all of them to come see the beautiful new statue and celebrate that they had built it. It was like this big group building activity. So he had heralds address the crowd and they passed on the message that there was going to be some music. And then when the music played, everyone was supposed to bow down and worship the statue. And if they didn't worship the statue, then they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. Basically, it was a huge furnace with a fire inside of it, as you might guess from the name. 
Also, it wouldn't be much of a punishment to throw someone into a cold furnace with no fire. And I guess the King Nebuchadnezzar took punishment seriously, and he took group gold statue worship time very seriously, too. Well, our boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in that crowd. Only they learned many years ago with their friend Daniel, they should stick to their beliefs and their culture. And of course, in the Jewish culture, according to the law, they must not worship statues or other gods. So they didn't. And it was a big crowd. They'd probably have gotten away with it. Only there were some snitches, some astrologers, wise men of a sort, and they saw that these three Jewish guys weren't following the new rule. It's entirely possible that the group of astrologers already hated them for being more successful or possibly for being Jewish or for being successful while Jewish. Are you shocked to find there might be racism and anti-Semitism in the great and mighty empire of Babylon? No? Hmm. So these concerned citizens, these astrologers, went to the king and they said, Oh, great king, may you live forever. We appreciate that you have made this great statue, and we know you said that when the music played, everyone must bow to it and worship, or we'd be thrown into the fiery furnace only. And we're just saying it because we're concerned, mind you. Those three Jews that we call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not do what you said. They refused to worship your gods. They don't listen to your majesty at all. And when King Nebuchadnezzar heard this, as they intended, he was full of rage. Arr, he was so mad. But being a reasonable king, he decided to hear them out first. So he summoned them and asked if those accusations were true, if they really refused to bow to his gods. He told them, if you hear the music and then you do bow down to this golden god I made, then good, you get one more chance. But if you do not, then I will have to throw you into the fiery furnace and then... What God will be able to rescue you from me? And they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter to you. If you throw us into the furnace, our God is perfectly capable of rescuing us. But even if he doesn't choose to rescue us, you should know we'd still refuse to bow to your majesty's gods. Well, <laughs> that didn't go over very well. The king decided he didn't actually like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego very well after all, and he didn't bother with second chances or further questions. He ordered that the furnace be heated as hot as it could possibly get. Five times hotter than usual. They heated it up, the soldiers tied up the three men and threw them into the furnace, but the flames were so hot that the soldiers who forced them in to the furnace died just from getting so close to the fire. And then the three men, all tied up, fell into the blazing furnace, and everyone watched. Not sure what they were expecting to see. More fire? And then King Nebuchadnezzar was like, he turned to his advisors, he's like, Hey, didn't we throw three guys into that furnace? And weren't they tied up? And they were all like, uh, yeah, you're, you're correct, your majesty. And the king said, I see four people inside the fire walking around, not tied up, and looking perfectly healthy, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. And, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar gets really excited about gods. So he walked near the furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out here. And they just walked right out of the furnace. And the king and all his advisors crowded around, astonished, to see not only were they alive, but not a single hair on any of their heads was singed. There was not even a whiff of the smell of smoke on their clothes, not a fleck of ash on them. They looked clean and cool and completely unarmed. So the king gave them another promotion and made a new declaration. 
Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent an angel to rescue his servants. They defied the king's command and risked their lives rather than worship any god other than their own god. Therefore, I make a new rule. Anyone who says anything bad about their god will be cut into pieces and have his house turned into a pile of dust and sticks and stones because no other god can save people this way. And like, that's just logic. So that was the second time that King Nebuchadnezzar discovered the Jewish Lord God. So, and I guess uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego lived happily ever after, after this. But uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had some further adventures. For the third time he discovers the, the Lord God, it gets pretty personal. But that is enough for today. I have been informed by my spouse that other podcasters often say things like, if you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to review our podcast on whatever podcast platform you use so more people can find this podcast. The word podcast is starting to feel fake. Anyway, please do that. Also, consider supporting the podcast on Patreon for just $1 a month or $5 a month, your choice. Thank you so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child.